Amen. Man, all right, ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us because it's all from God. It's all for God. If you're here for the first, second, or third time, you've got that connection card with approximately one million blanks in it, and you're thinking there's no way this thing is filled out before the basket comes, good. That's the plan. Uh, as you head out today, there will be some really nice people on your right who have a gift for you because you matter to us. You made this place matter to you, and we want you to know that today. That's our info table. You can buy your soccer tickets there. You can also talk to whoever's there about getting baptized next week. Next week is our baptism Sunday. We would love uh, to be able to celebrate that with a lot of people from Mountain View Sunnyside getting baptized. So if you're interested in baptism, talk to someone at the info table as you leave. And obviously, you will not get stuck with cold water Sunday because it's going to be stupid hot for the next four months, and that's why we live in Fresno. Today we're talking about sharing your faith and what it means for us as Christians to go vocal and go mobile with what Jesus has done in us. And if you're here today and you're like, wow, I have a lot to learn about this because I have no clue what to do, you are here on the right day. Uh, Thursday there was a basketball game which has nothing to do with telling people about Jesus except that it will give you something to remember today by uh, there's two teams, the Warriors, who I thought we were going to win by a million and told everyone it's going to be like a two-game series, uh, and then the Warriors will walk away, much to my chagrin and dismay, because uh, I'm from Southern California, and everything north of Fresno doesn't exist, uh, at least according to basketball. Uh, and... and uh, and the other team is the Cavaliers. Cavaliers have LeBron James. He is, I'll be controversial here, he is the greatest of all time. All right, I grew up watching Jordan. LeBron is better. Uh, that's going on the podcast. You can send your emails today. Uh, but at the end of the game, the Warriors and the Cavs were actually tied. This was not supposed to happen. There's a guy at the free throw line who's going to shoot a free throw that should have won the game for the Warriors, or the Cavaliers. He missed and this guy, J.R. Smith, who is now unfortunately famous, gets the rebound. He is a small player. He is not a rebounder. But somehow, he gets the ball. With four seconds left, he is four feet from the hoop. He is a shooter. He has the ball. And he dribbles out to the half court to let the, let the clock expire because he thought that his team was ahead. They were not ahead. Everyone in the building knew that. Everyone watching on TV knew that. And now for the rest of his life, he knows that he was dribbling the ball toward half court away from the basket with the greatest player of all time ready to get the ball and score. Uh, and he's taking the ball and he's running away. That is not what we want to do, and it's our opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We don't want to take what's been given to us, the salvation that Jesus bought, the salvation that Jesus gave to us, take that and run away. I think of a time in my life where I did this, and it also involves basketball. Instead of men's basketball, it involves women's basketball. Uh, a friend of mine, Jarrett, that I went to high school with, uh, we went to see a girls' basketball game, not so much for the basketball, but because we were 15 for the girls. And he, was, uh, he had been in a relationship with one of the girls on the team. I was his wingman that night, uh, and he was going to talk to her after the game. They were going to have the defining the relationship talk after the game. Uh, and I remember our walk home that night because the talk went terrible. Uh, Jarrett didn't know Jesus, and, and so we're talking on the way home about everything in his life that has disappointed him and has left him completely unfulfilled. And I had grown up going to church, so I knew at this point, this is where you share Jesus. This is where you talk about the person who will never let you down. This is where you talk about the hope that will never disappoint. And I did the J.R. Smith. I had the layup, and I walked away. It was even raining, like it's perfect Southern California. It never rains during the summer. This is God saying, I'm ready to act. You just have to open your mouth and not run away. And I ran away. And so as I'm looking at this this week, that, that thing is in my head. And so for us as a church, I don't want us to run away. I don't want us to take the opportunities, the influence that we have to be active in other people's lives with Jesus 
and run away. I want us to run towards these opportunities. We're going to look at a story today in John chapter 9. It's a story of a guy who perfectly nails this. He's not J.R. Smith. He's not 15-year-old Ken. We actually don't even know his name. So his name could be whatever you want, but he nails this. He perfectly explains what Jesus has done in his life in a way that we can take some clues from, in a way that we can look at and say, I'm going to do that in my own way in 2018, different than how he did it in, in 32 AD, but I'm going to let God use me and use my story for the benefit and for the salvation of people around me. And so John 9 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1. And from the very beginning of this guy's story, we're going to see that our responsibility to tell people about Jesus has more to do with Jesus than it does with us. So this guy's story, John 9, verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why, is this man, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus acts. He does something. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with his saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told the blind man, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. This whole story changes because Jesus did something. It starts with a philosophical argument. How did this happen? But it turns into a miraculous encounter because Jesus does something. For all of us here, every single one of us here, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it is because Jesus did something. That is the foundation of our faith. We don't have faith in feelings or emotions. We have faith in an event, and God piles onto that feelings and emotions. That event is what Scott talked about up here with communion, that there was a real day where Jesus died on a cross, and it wasn't just a symbolic death. It was a real death to pay the penalty for all of our sins. He really died. He was really dead for three days, and they buried him because everybody expected him to stay dead. Our faith is in the fact that that was a real event, that Jesus didn't just come to minister to our feelings, but he came to invade history to pay for our very real sin, to absorb the very real punishment that all of us, me included, deserved because of our sin. So what Jesus does, what our faith is grounded in, is the fact that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried because everybody expected him to stay dead. And that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he walked out of his own grave. That's where our faith lies. Our faith doesn't lie in feelings of forgiveness. Our faith lies in a man waking up from being dead by himself and walking out of his own grave. That's what our faith lies in. And as we share this, we're sharing the effects of an event. For me, my salvation, your salvation, is the effects of that event, that Jesus died for your sins on a cross and then walked out into new life. And as he walks out into new life, he's calling us to walk out into new life. And this is all summarized in four words. And they're all really short, so you can write them on your arm if you need to. And this is how we share with, with people about what Jesus has done in our life. And the first word is love. It's the love of God which changes everything in this situation. John 3, 16, it's a verse in the Bible that talks about this. It says, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. 
where you sit now, you are loved by God. I'm not talking about like the location. I'm talking about the place in your life where you are now. Good stuff, bad stuff, neutral stuff that just kind of showed up in your life. You are already loved by God and that will never change. The Bible that we read our kids, uh, it says this, is this the, it's the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. God looks at you today. And he says, I'm going to love you with an unstoppable love, a never giving up love, an unbreaking love, always and forever love. And it's also an intelligent love because within that love, God knows for all of us that there's sin, that there's a way that we fight back. The Bible calls it sin where when we, whenever we treat ourselves, God, or someone else less than the way that God created him to be. Whether it's things that we say, whether it's things that we do, whether it's things that we think, that we push ourselves away from God through sin. God says, I want you to live this way, and we say, no thanks, I'm doing it this way. That's called sin. For those of you who are at the 11 o'clock service, which is all of us, there's sin in our life today that we've had to deal with. That's an advantage to coming to earliest, because there's less sin to deal with before you get to church. But for us, we have stuff even today that has pushed us away from God. And what Jesus did was he came in to invade that because somebody had to invade it. Sin is our separation from God. We can never overcome that by doing good things. We can never overcome that by going to church more. We can never overcome that in any way possible. We are separated from God. I think the longer you become a Christian, the longer you've been a Christian, that, that starts, to, starts to go away. We, we minimize the effects of sin in our life. At our house, uh, our trash can, like the trash, not the recycling or the yard can, but like the trash can, the nasty one, was starting to fill up with like this layer of just funk down at the bottom. Uh, And so last Thursday, after the trash had been taken out, before it got ridiculously hot, because I knew that uh, my window to actually do this and survive was shrinking, uh, the trash truck came, took all of our stuff, and so I took my trash can, tipped it upside down on my lawn, sprayed out all the inside of that thing to get everything out, and then I stepped back and inhaled, expecting just to absolutely die. And you know what? I don't know why this happened biologically, but it didn't smell. Like the death had been in that thing so long that it started to compost, and it actually looked like healthy for soil. Not for my house. I just stuck that stuff in the drain and sent it down the street. But it didn't stink. Like for us, we look at stuff from our past and we can so quickly flip the switch on that and say, you know what, that doesn't stink anymore. That's who I used to be. And you know what, it was college or it was high school or it was elementary school, regardless of how young you are, you think your past wasn't as bad as it really was. But in all reality, that's what separates us from God. Our sin stinks before God. There's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament where a guy is trying to talk about people who think that they're so good. And he says, even your good deeds are trash. And I think, you know what, my trash didn't stink so bad this week. That's not the way that God looks at it. God looks at it from a heart that he's going to invade. And he says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The wages of sin, the penalty, the the smell, if you will, of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, your your trash, it stinks, but I'm going to invade that stink. And he invaded it in the person of Jesus. That's the third word. We've got love, the love of God. We've got sin, and then we've got Jesus. Jesus is God invading our sin, invading our brokenness to fix us, like what Scott said. Jesus absorbed the separation of our sin and exchanged it for his perfect relationship with God. It's a perfect exchange. Jesus takes our sin. We take on Jesus' perfection so that when God looks at you and me with our past, with our future, with our weaknesses. He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus' blood poured out for our salvation. 
That's the good news. That's why we celebrate as Christians, because we are not defined by what we did. We are defined by a real action, but it's not our action. It's Jesus' action on our behalf. And so when we share, when we get excited about who Jesus is, it's about what Jesus has done for us, specifically on the cross. And then the last word, we got love of God, we got sin, we got Jesus. Last word is you that you make a decision to accept Jesus. This is something that your grandparents or your parents or whoever brought you to church first can't do. This is an individual decision. John 1, 12, a guy who's talking about Jesus, he says this, to all who believed him, believe that Jesus died, that his death was for our sins and that he rose again to all of them. What about people with issues? All of them. What about people who still like go back to stuff and they're struggling towards God? All of them. He gave the right to become the children of God. And so our responsibility to tell people about Jesus rests in what Jesus did for us first. And then he says, I want you to follow me in this. This is the work that I've done on your behalf, and now I want you to follow me. He invites us in. And this blind guy gives us a perfect example of what this looks like. So verse 8, just realized he could see. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, it just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yeah, I'm the same one. He begins to tell people about the event that impacted him by telling people that he already knew. Tells people that he already knew. So many of us, when we became Christians, if you're the exception to this, please tell me afterwards. I'd love to know you. But you didn't become a Christian because there was a street preacher on the corner screaming at you about heaven and hell. You became a Christian because there's somebody who had relationship with you, who had an impact on your life, whether it's a mom, dad, grandma, friend, brother, sister, whatever who told you about who Jesus was and the difference that he made in your life. For this blind beggar, he gives us a perfect example of that because he starts with people that he knows. For all of us, we have people in our lives who know that we know, but they don't yet know Jesus. And our charge, our empowerment from God is to go into their lives and make a difference. And this guy shows us how because he starts sharing with people that he already knows about who Jesus is and what he's done. And he continues to share, even though there's reason to get scared. Verse 10, so his friends asked him, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Well, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told him, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. One thing right there that I love, okay, they take the guy basically to the religious police, and the guy's story never changes. He doesn't care. He used to be blind. He could see, and so whatever anybody else can do to him pales in comparison to the fact that Jesus gave him his sight. We share with people we already know, and we also share because we're not going to let fear win in our lives. You can look at this idea of you actually telling somebody about Jesus and saying, that is really awkward. I am never doing that in my entire life. When we step into the awkwardness, we give God an opportunity to work in us. When we show up and say, all right, Lord, I'm empty. This is going to be really weird. I need you to move. God answers that prayer. God answers that prayer. He steps in when we need it. Read the Gospels. There are so many awkward situations where people come to Jesus with these weird things and Jesus steps into their awkwardness and there's a miracle that happens. I think of uh, John chapter 6 where Jesus has to feed a stadium and the only amount of food that's brought to him is a Lunchable. I mean, imagine being that guy. Okay, this is a really weird idea. Here's five loaves of bread, two fish, and 20,000 people. 
Jesus, can you do something? And Jesus says, absolutely. And he multiplies it, and there's 12 baskets full of leftovers, plus 20,000 people that get fed from a Lunchable. So we share, and we also don't argue. Nobody's going to be argued into the kingdom of God. Verse 16, some Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he was working on the Sabbath. And others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division among them. And then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? And the man replied, not by arguing. He says, I think he must be a prophet. Skip ahead to verse 24. So for a second time, they called the man in who'd been blind, and they told him, God should get the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the blind man replies, the formerly blind man, the man formerly known as blind. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. He's not going to argue. He's just going to continue to come back to the fact that Jesus came in and changed everything. So we tell people about the event that impacted us, and we do it in a way that people can understand. That's this guy's message that he keeps coming back to. I don't know, I used to be blind, and now I can see. My name to you was blind guy, and now it's I can see guy. This this is the basis of everything. It comes back to what Jesus did for him. And so when we're going to tell people about Jesus... And there's a yellow bookmark that you're handed as you walked in. Uh, it's 11 inches long, so it sticks out farther than anything else that you got. Uh, it's got some steps about how you can actually have a conversation with somebody uh, and that ends with you praying with them to become a Christian. Right, the, the person that you're going to do this with, this is up to you and God. God knows your life. God knows the spiritual condition of those around you. And so he's going to set this up to use you in other people's lives to see men and women become Christians. And so what, what happens here is that we begin by, by asking questions. Okay, this isn't something you just cold call, knock on your neighbor's door, and then ask them these questions. Usually it happens in relationship. If I could rewind the clock 23 years in my life, it would have happened in Simi Valley on the way back from a girls' basketball game when I was more about girls than basketball, and my friend is talking about how empty he feels like his life is. And so I can ask him, Jarrett, weird question, okay? But if you were to die tonight, do you know what would happen? That's the question. If you were to die, do you know where you would go? And people answer this with a variety of things. Most people say heaven, uh, unless the, the weight of their sin is really on them. And then it's, it's great. You present Jesus as, as the answer to their sin, as the forgiver of their sin. But a lot of people say heaven. And so the next question you ask is, why? Why would Jesus let you into heaven? Most of the time, what people will say is, I've never killed anybody. Way to go. Congratulations. If we spin that around, if we look at that biblically, we know that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if you've ever said somebody is a fool in your mind, you're already guilty of murder, so therefore we are all messed up. So why? Because I've never killed anyone. Or they also say because I've asked Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, and at which point, awesome, you get to celebrate with them, pray for them, continue on with life. But if they say, I've never killed anyone, or they give an answer that doesn't center on Jesus, you can ask the third question, which is, would you like to know for sure? Would you like to know for sure? This is all detailed on that yellow paper. And that's our moment to share. That's our moment to step into the shoes of the nameless missionary, the formerly, guy, the formerly blind guy, and begin to tell about what Jesus did in his life. That's all that the guy does throughout this story. I used to be blind, now I can see. I used to be blind, now I can see. And through that, God works. And so we do that by hitting on four things we talked about earlier. When was the first time in your life that you understood God's love for you? Could be when you were five. It could be when you were 45. Where was the point in your life where you understood God's love for you? 
I think in my life it was in the back seat of my car. I was driving home from church with my dad. Uh, they had had a baptism at church, just like we're going to have next week. If you're interested, talk to somebody at the info table or me as you head out today. They had had a baptism at church, and I wanted to know how come people get to go swimming at church, and I had to stay in my clothes. And so my dad explained to me, this is what baptism is. It's people testifying in front of the church and saying, Jesus forgave me of my sins. They're in love with Jesus because he is their forgiver. That was the first time God's love became real to me. The second thing is, when was the effects, the consequences, the separation, whatever word you want to use, of our sin, when did that become real? For me, it was when I was 18. I was driving home uh, from my first year living away from my parents, which had a lot of the strappings of my first year living away from my parents, specifically sin that needed to get dealt with. And that was the first time that I really felt in my life, man, I have hurt God. I have offended God. I have done life. God says, do it this way. And I was way over here doing my own thing. And so in my car, I I felt the weight of my sin. And what I also felt was what Jesus had done for me, that he came into my life, that he died a real death on a real cross to pay for everything, that I wasn't driving home that day as half forgiven or half loved or loved before freshman year started. It was driving home being chased by a God who loves me and wants me to understand more and more every day that I'm forgiven and set free from him. And so what I do, I prayed. I said, God, I messed up. You're a loving God. I messed up. This is what I need you to do. This is what I want you to come in and restore. And that was, what, that was the beginning of everything changing for me. That's what God did for me. Is that something you would like to do today? That's the question you close with. Is that something that you would like to do today? Ask Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to make you a new person. And the amazing thing about this, the part where where we really get to stand back and look at our God move, is that God invites us all into participation. When we tell people about Jesus, we partner with God to see God work in our world as people move from death to life and God receives glory. We're partnering with God. We're the vessel that he's going to use to impact the lives of people that you know who don't yet know Jesus. We're the vessel that God is going to use. We read a story about how God used the blind man to to be a witness to a whole village about what Jesus has done. And what God wants to do is he wants to use us in our homes, in our businesses, on our streets, in our groups of friends, with your kids or with your parents if they're not believers yet. But God wants to use us as his partners in our world, to change our world. That's what God wants to do. And as we give him an opportunity, as we say, all right, God, I'm not going to miss my shot. I'm not going to run away from the awkwardness. I'm not going to run away from the fear. I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to share what you've done with people. We get to partner in with what Jesus wants to do in people's lives. We get to be the vessels through whom Jesus works to bring freedom to people and to bring them to new life. That's what God wants to do through us as a church. That's what God wants to do through you individually because he loves you. He's forgiven your sins. Jesus came in to run your life. And as we make the decision to say, all right, God, here I am, use me, God's gonna do that. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have placed each and every one of us exactly where we are, exactly on purpose. And so, Holy Spirit, right now as we pray, I pray that you're going to be dropping faces and names into our minds right now of people that we know who don't yet know you. People whose lives you want to use us instrumentally in, whether it's brothers or sisters or moms or dads or sons and daughters or or neighbors or coworkers. Whatever it is, God, 
you are a soul-seeking God. And the amazing part about that is you want to use us to tell people about you. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to come into your life, you look at God's love, you look at the sin that separates you from him, you look at Jesus who came to die for you, and you say, man, that's me today, I'm ready for that. I'm gonna count to three, and when I say three, if today's your day to say yes to Jesus, then I want you to look at me and raise your hand. It'll be the best decision you could ever make. And today, someone's gonna pray with you, and you're gonna find forgiveness. You're gonna find new life in Jesus. And it'll be the best decision you could ever make. So one, God loves you. He always have, always will, and today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, called sin that push us away from Jesus. But Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin and to bring us into relationship with God. And today's your day to receive that. If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's going to pray with you and it'll be the best decision you could ever make. Is there anyone like that here today? Or today's your day to say yes to Jesus. Okay, I see you where you are. Stay where you are. And somebody's going to pray with you as we close today. Is there anyone else where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? Today's your day to find forgiveness. All right, we're going to close today. And and as we close, I want us to respond, confirming with our feet what's going on in our hearts. I want us to come forward. You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel, whatever. But we're taking a physical step to say, God, I want you to work in my life to reach these people. We're going to lay out specific names today of people that we want God to use us to reach. There's space up here to the front. We're going to respond. We're asking Jesus to work in us to see people that we know who don't yet know Jesus become Christians because God's going to use us to see that happen. Let's worship and respond.